0: Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We are in the last, the first of the last two messages from an over two-year odyssey through the book of Revelation. I'm both excited and not, I don't know how I feel about it, relieved and also a little bit sad, but nonetheless... We have two, and today I want to just invite you to sit back. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but this is more like a field trip. You don't need to like, li- like, take super detailed notes because you're going to have a test. I just want you to sit back and let your imagination and let the Spirit of God illuminate to you, like, your mind and your spirit to things He wants to show you as we open up this vision of forever. If I had a title, I would call this... I do have a title. It's not if. This is my title. My title is... So you're going to live forever. That's my title. So you're going to live forever. I want to talk about what to expect in forever. My job today is to help you envision your eternity. Those of you who belong to Jesus, this promise, this, this picture that is painted in, in Revelation gives us some clues and some pieces to kind of put together a puzzle of what our forever life is going to be. And my hope is that we get our hopes sky high. And I know a lot of us have learned the hard way in life to like manage your hopes because that way you don't get disappointed, right? You know, you've had a lot of things not delivered as advertised, but the scripture over and over and the words of Jesus himself say that it's actually gonna be better Uh, what the real thing is and that our imagination is just a glimmer of hope in what is the reality. And so I want to serve us today as we do a flyover of Revelation 21 and we start to pull out some of the descriptions of what forever is going to be like. We're going to just keep our Bibles open and my job really is to sort of serve as a eternal travel agent If I could be that today, if I could put on my travel agent hat today and and help you think about and envision and and plan your forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, I know a thing or two about travel agents because my aunt and uncle, they run Expedia Cruises in St. John. My mom works for them. My other aunt, it's a family affair. And so we're talking about travel and vacations all the time. And so I know a thing or two about it. And here's what I wanted to get you to do today as we think about heaven. There's a few things I want us to do. We're going to first and foremost, I want to just build a case for why you should be thinking about your forever. I want you to start making considering going to be in forever with God something you think about a lot. I also want to, for a few minutes, paint the picture based on the scripture of what it will be like when you get there. What it's going to be like. This is going to be almost like if I were able to sit down with you and hand you a pamphlet. My slides are going to be like a pamphlet today. Some things that you're going to want to check out when you get there. That's what we're going to do. And then really quick at the end, although I won't spend much time here, I'm going to help you know how you can accomplish it. You know, when you're in a travel agent's office, after they've sold you on the trip, you say, how much and how do I pay? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But today, we're going to jump right in. And I want to build a case really quick. If you're with me, are you with me? Okay, I want to build a case really quick on why you should be thinking about forever. Like in your day-to-day life, you should be considering your eternity more often than you probably do. And that is true for me as well. The reality is most of us don't give eternity a whole lot of thought, do we? Not unless it's forced upon us. If you, are, if, you go, if you have a near-death experience, maybe some of you almost got in a car accident this week, and for a few fleeting moments, you had to think about, oh, yeah, I'm mortal. Or maybe you've lost someone recently, and that has had you thinking about eternity. But most of the time, we just kind of do our life, and we, we just do our thing, and we don't give it a whole lot of thought. But that's actually a problem. There's reasons why you and I should think about forever. The first is this. When you think about forever and we think about eternity, first and foremost, it actually forces us to take seriously what we say we believe. If we were going after church, if I said, you know what, I have a spaceship in the parking lot and we are going to go to Mars and y'all are like, here it comes, the blue Kool-Aid's next. No, just bear with me. And like, we're like, we're going to go on a trip to Mars. We're going to stay there for a few months, and I'm going to show you all about it. I'm going to show you around. And we get in, and we take off. And you're like, so Pastor Brent, like, what's it going to be like when we get there? And I said, I don't know. Never thought about it. You'd be like, what, you, this is not a good thing. I should have thought about this before we got there. It's kind of crazy to think about the fact that you and I are going to spend eternity in a certain type of way, and we never actually give it any consideration. Do you? Like I, A lot of time, we don't think about it. The... Uh, The theologian J.C. Ryle, the the 19th century Anglican bishop, he said it like this, the man who is about to sail for Australia or New Zealand as a settler is naturally anxious to know something about his future home. It's climate, it's employments, it's inhabitants, it's ways, it's customs. All these are subjects of deep interest to him. You're leaving the land of your nativity and you're going to spend the rest of your life in a new hemisphere. It would be a strange thing indeed If we did not desire information about your new abode, now surely if we hope to dwell forever in that better country, even a heavenly one, we ought to seek all the knowledge we can about it. Before we go to our eternal home, we should try to become acquainted with it. Makes sense, doesn't it? You're like, hmm, yeah, that does actually make sense. You would think I would think about that. And yet we don't, but there's a reason why. And here's the second reason why I want to encourage you as a, as a Christian to be thinking about forever. Because the devil is actively working to rob your imagination from the hope that you have in heaven. He is actively working to try to blind your concept of the reward of following Jesus. He wants to diminish the hope you have so you are relegated to accepting that this is as good as it gets, so I better cling to this life. That's what the devil is actually actively trying to do. Uh, It tells us in Revelation, we saw this in chapter 13 when it was describing some of the things the beast does. Look in verse 6. It tells us that the beast opens its mouth to blaspheme God, so to come against the knowledge of God. It tells us that in Corinthians as well. And to slander his name, to to desecrate him, and slander, look at this, his dwelling place. And to slander those who live in heaven. He's trying to pervert and twist and dilute and degrade your vision of the reward that God has for you for following him. That should cause you to to, to stop for a minute and think, man, is the devil trying to rob me of the greatest hope of my life? There's a there's this series by C.S. Lewis, this fiction series. Anybody ever read The Chronicles of Narnia? Or maybe you saw, like, I think did BBC or CBC have a show, I think, at one point. Anyway, the last, one of the, one of the books is called The Silver Chair. And in The Silver Chair, there's this whole part of the book that the, the heroes go down into this underground world where this whole civilization are living underground under the spell of the queen of the underground. And she rules them, not by force, but by, through lies, convincing them that there's no world above There is no sun, there is no moon, there are no stars, there is no grass, there is no fresh air, this is all there is, you better get used to it. And that's what the devil tries to do to to the people of God, to make you overvalue this life and undervalue the next one. That's what he's actively trying to do. So that's why we need to be thinking about it intentionally. Number three, we also need to be thinking about it intentionally because the vision of our reward empowers us in this life. Once we realize the unimaginable hope that we have forever and ever and ever and ever, this is kind of the same language where Paul says that the the sting of death has been removed. Why? Because I'm going to live forever and ever and ever. So the sting is out. There's a gravitational power when you have a hope that is bigger than the pain that you are going through today. Or when you have something to look forward to. Like, is anybody, we won't judge you, I promise, but is any, or we won't be, we'll be a little bit jealous, but we'll be happy for you. Is anybody going to, like, Florida or Jamaica or something? Anybody going on a vacation south here in March? Anybody, raise your hand. You're like, no, I don't want judgment. None of you are? All my people. All right, good. You're going to be back here with me watching your skin go from albino to translucent. Perfect. I'm at that stage now. I'm like, there's no sign of vitamin D in my skin anywhere, so... But those of you who are going on a vacation, what happens? You have this like expectation and there's this kind of, there's this gravitational, okay, I can deal with this week at work or I can deal with that because we're going to go away. This is the reality for us as believers. It's supposed to be this gravitational pull for us that powers us through the struggles and losses and ups and downs of this life. It's supposed to be a power for us. That's why Paul says, you know, I, I forget what's behind and I stretch and I press on to that for which God took hold of me. Uh, Helen Keller, are you familiar with her? She grew up deaf and blind, an incredible story of an incredible person, but she had a quote about hoping in heaven. She said this, for three things I thank God every day of my life. First, thanks that he has vouchsafed me, which is like rewarded or benefited me, knowledge of his works. Deep thanks, number two, that he has set in my darkness the lamp of faith. I love that line. She's blind and deaf. Deepest, deep, deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to. A life joyous with light and flowers and heavenly song, said by a blind and deaf person. That power of what is to come pulls you forward. It's gravitational. It helps you keep going. It's like the story of Florence Chadwick, 1952. This woman tried to to swim the length of California's shoreline. She made it the whole way except for about a half mile. She quit. When you say, why would she quit a half mile away after all those miles? Because it was foggy and she didn't know how close she was to the shore. And she famously said after, if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So keeping the vision of that shoreline in front of us powers us forward. Number four, we're commanded. The Bible tells us to set our minds on things above. To actually intentionally think about eternity that God has for us and the reality of heaven. It says in Colossians, it says, you have been raised with Christ, so set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, the the queen of the underground, the beast, the devil, he tries to keep your imagination locked into this is as good as as it can get. But you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who appears is When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's the promise. We're commanded to think about it. Number five, here's the last reason I'll share with you why you should be thinking about forever. Because in the same way that the Spirit is actively working against your vision, the Holy Spirit, sorry, the devil, the Holy Spirit is working to try to give you vision of what God has for you. Have you ever, maybe maybe it just happened just now as we were worshiping, Something in your soul was leaping as we were worshiping Jesus and singing about heavenly things. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to try to get you to see what is greater. The Spirit is actually trying to reveal hidden things to you. And he does that even as we imagine heaven. You know, some of you know the scripture, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined, right? And so maybe we take that as an invitation to never try to imagine heaven. But that's not what it says. Look, it says, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, it's talking about heaven, what God has prepared for those who love him. Look what the next verse says. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So even as I preach, and I'm going to just show you a glimpse of what to expect in eternity, even as I preach that, I guarantee you the Spirit of God, as I preach, is going to be calling your spirit to, to, like, hope. You're going to feel your spirit leap. You might even feel your eyes leak because of the hope that is just so real. And, you're, and the Holy Spirit is actually actively working to get you to envision this reality. So that's why we need to think about it. it. The Spirit is actually going to work in our favor. Now, before we jump any further, I want to make sure that we are clear on where we're talking about, the where and when. When I talk about heaven, and I talk about afterlife and the eternal life. I want to make sure, because a lot of us have baggage when it comes to talking about heaven. We have all kinds of caricatures and things that are wholly unhelpful and not in the Bible. Last week, if you were with us, we framed in the grand story. Do you remember? It's bigger than just Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven someday. We found out about the new heaven and the new earth. Anybody remember? Are you with me? This is going to be helpful as you get this in your head. But we know that the gospel is a story of earth had fallen, and there was a separation between heaven and earth, right? We learned that the gospel was the story of God coming in the flesh and bridging that gap and reconciling heaven and earth through who? Yes, you passed the test. That's the only question you're going to have to answer today. It's Jesus. He's beginning this new creation in himself, calling people, and he's starting the the reconciliation of heaven and earth and the restoration of all things. And so the time that you and I are living in is right here flowing out from the cross, and there's coming a day we found out that heaven and earth, and we just read it, Andrew just read it to us, heaven and earth will be one, correct? 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 The New Heaven says so, then I saw a new heaven and a new Earth, and the heaven what came down like a bride dressed adorned for her husband, remember, and they came together, and that 's the picture and so when we get talking about heaven, you know a lot of you right now are thinking like, Where are my loved ones? Are they in heaven? I, I want to tell you something they aren 't here yet, neither are we this hasn 't happened. This is revelation. 21, 22, okay? Where we are is somewhere in this timeline waiting for the second coming. We talked about it last week, remember? Where Christ returns, the devil is kicked the hell out of here. Amen? Amen. Yes? And that's gone and done away with. The old order of things has passed away and God establishes the new order. So if peop- where are people right now? That's what some of you are wondering. I want to just answer that question because some of you may be thinking about the whole time if I don't. People are with God. That's all we know. The scripture tells us to be absent from the body to to present with the Lord. Jesus said on the cross to the thief who believed, today you will be with me in paradise. Revelation gives us pictures multiple times of the church with God. Okay, so people who have died are with God in heaven, but that is not our final destination. It's important that you understand that. They're in a, an intermediate heaven, as it were. There's coming a day when Christ returns where heaven and earth are going to be brought together in fullness. And if that's this afternoon, that means that those who have died or, like Paul says, have fallen asleep, they will come and you and I will be brought together with them and heaven and earth will come together. And that's the forever I'm talking about is right here. This is your destiny if you belong to Jesus. If you die tomorrow before Christ comes back, you will be with Jesus in heaven, and I don't know how, what, like, what involvement, I have theories on what involvement people who have died who are with Jesus, but that's not helpful for us today. I want you to understand, though, when we get talking about heaven, it's not some far away never-never land, third star to tomorrow, on to tonight, or whatever that Peter Pan stuff is. I got it wrong. It's the coming together of a new creation in fullness, Okay? That's what Revelation 21 and 22 are painting. So now that we know why you should think about going there and where exactly we're talking about, the new heaven and the new earth, let's picture it. Do you want to know a little bit about what's going to happen and what it's going to be like? Okay, good, good. You're sold already. I didn't have to show you my pamphlet. All right. Let's picture it for a few minutes and imagine. Holy Spirit, would you just help us imagine even right now things that we can't even comprehend Let's picture it. What is forever going to be like, according to the scripture, in the new heaven and the new earth? Can I call it heaven without you thinking wrongly about it? I'm just going to keep saying the new heaven and the new earth. I don't trust. (laughs) I don't trust any of us, myself included. What's it going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth? I have, we have some things we got to do here. Okay. First is this, the Bible gives us a picture to help teach some truth But we're going to have to use a couple tools. Tools of deduction. We're going to have to figure out what's not there, and that's going to be helpful. And then tools of imagination to figure out what is there. So i got seven things really quick of deduction. Things that are not in heaven. So here's what you can't expect. When you get to the new heaven and the new earth, and you have that moment, and your forever after begins... Here's what you will not find according to the scripture. If you keep Revelation 21 open, you can see the the references here. I don't have time to dive in too deep. We're we're doing a flyover. You can explore when you get there. Number one, there is no sea. There is no sea. Now, what is it talking about there's no sea? Now, I know we got like Graham and Annars here, and your anxiety just went up. That doesn't sound like heaven to me, sir. It's not saying there's no waters, or there's no rivers or lakes, or there's no oceans or seas in the sense of a geographical space. Sea here is referencing chaos. It's It's a picture of chaos. You see it in the beginning of Genesis, and it's a theme from beginning to the end of the scripture, and this is where chaos leaves our story. So when it says there is no sea, it's talking about the chaos that you and I know as part of our day-to-day life. How many of you know, like, Murphy's Law is out there? Yeah? That's a real thing. It's chaos. It's, there are things constantly out of your control that can and could or even will happen to you, right? That's chaos. There's freak accidents. There's uh, natural disasters, acts of God, they call them, ironically. There are earthquakes and typhoons and forest fires and aneurysms and kids finding loaded weapons and uh, plane crashes and accidents and SIDS and all kinds of just trauma and tragedy that is our life. People dying suddenly. Those things are, that's the work of Chaos. For you nerds, I would like you're into physics. It's the second law of thermodynamics, <laughs> entropy. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Entropy, like it's like the, the anyway. All right, never mind. But that's what it means. There's no C. Imagine a world where you never had to worry about well, what could go wrong? You sleep at night with that world, couldn't you? Never have to worry when the other shoe is going to fall. When you get there, don't expect there to be any sea. There is no chaos. Can I get an amen? Oh, it's so good. Number two, this is huge. There are, and I want you to think through what the implications of this are. There are no tears. When you get there, there will be no tears. And that word no in, in the text in verse 4, the Greek word here is the word no, which means in Greek, none. There are no tears, or death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. Those things are not there. Which means you can't even bring your tears you are crying today or about yesterday there. They will be gone forever. That's incredible. Like, Daryl Johnson talks about uh, the tears and death and mourning and crying being the markers of the human experience, aren't they? And regardless of who you are or how much money you have, or technology you have, or political power you have, there has been no escape for anyone from these things, except for in that day, in that moment, in the new heaven and the new earth, when the old order of things has passed away, there is no tears or death. I always think about that when I'm grieving with, with loved ones or we're grieving as a church when someone has died, especially when real tragedy, like I know we have a lot of folks that have lost kids or, or loved ones way too early and I think about when it says no tears or mourning specifically, it means like there's no grief or regret looking back over your shoulder. How many of you know, like some of you are still hurting about things that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and some of you have gone through some things that you will not escape the pain of that in this life. And I think, of, think of people who have lost kids and stuff. You're just always going to carry that wound, but this says that the healing power and fullness of joy of God is so complete that you won't even look back and say, yeah, but that that really hurt and I'm still, I'm still hurt by that. There's no grief. There's no fear of what could happen. There's no sorrow for what did happen and there's no pain in the present. That sounds like a good place to go. There's no, you will not find any of those things. And along with that, it's not just that there will be no tears, death, mourning, or crying, but there will be no corrupted or broken or unbecoming character. In other words, uh, everybody will be ultimately trustworthy and admirable. You can trust your, your mechanic. You won't need your mechanic, but you could trust them if you did, right? I, I can trust my mechanic. I, Paul, you're my man. But uh, you, you can trust people. Fully, there will be none. Like, it, it actually, it says, that, I think it was in verse, verse 8, was it? Yeah. Verse 8, it talks about how there will be no more ca- no cowards, the unbelieving, the vile, the sexually immoral, the idolaters. That basically are all the selfish things and broken human things that all of us have been prone to. You can trust people, and get this, here's the crazier part, you're going to be able to trust yourself. So I just, thought, I just heard an audible, ooh. Yeah, like some of you have struggled with addictions. You know you can't go to that place because if you do, it's gonna open up that whole can of worms. You won't have that weakness. Some of you who, who, who just, you've struggled in certain areas, there will be no corrupted, broken, unbecoming character. How amazing is that? Imagine that everybody you met were 100% authentic, trustworthy, reliable, and true. What kind of place would that be like? Incredible. Number four, this is huge. There is no temple. You will not find a temple. Now some of you are like, I don't don't go to the temple anyway, so who cares? But why this matters is because the temple is the central thing. We talked about it really quickly last week that the temple for a very long time, especially for the Jews, was the very place where you could actually engage with God. It It was that intersection of heaven and earth. And so when they read originally in that vision where there's no temple, anxiety would have shot up because it would have been like, well, where can we access God's presence? Yes, they believe that God is everywhere, but the temple was the place where God's manifest presence was, where his glory was, where he was really accessible. And if there was no temple, then then where are we going to find God's presence? Daryl Johnson says it really well. I'll I'll read the, the quote he says, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of a lifelong Jew like John to really feel the startling thing he's saying. There's simply no way a lifelong Jew can speak of God without speaking of the temple. For the temple is where God chose to dwell. What gives here? John looks down street after street after street in his vision, but he sees no temple. Why? Because the city itself is the temple. The whole city is the temple. You know those measurements where you were reading them, Andrew? The measurements is like measuring the cubits and it measured to be a perfect cube. Now, is the city a perfect cube? I don't know if that's the point. What's it trying to tell you? Do you know what else was a perfect cube? In the temple and in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. The Holy of Holies is the place where God's presence dwelled, where only once a year the priest could go after major purification, and even then he risked death by being in God's presence. But this is saying that the whole new creation, the heavens and the earth, the new heaven, new earth, are all the temple. It's all the Holy of Holies. What Jesus shows John is that heaven and the new earth. Are the temple. What Jesus shows John is that God's dwelling place is no longer an identifiable separate space within the city. God's dwelling place is the city itself, everywhere, it is all temple. So think about it for a minute. Those, you ever have like, an, maybe just even a few minutes ago when we were worshiping, you had a moment where you're like, you were really experiencing the presence of God, and then you're going to leave this place, and you're going to go about your work week, you're going to do ma- mundane tasks, some of you have babies, you're going to change diapers, and you're going to do all the things, and it doesn't feel like the glory of God is shining in your midst in that space. In the new heaven and the new earth, the transcendent manifest presence of God is everywhere in everything all the time. It's not just special occasions and mountaintop moments where you have these encounters with God. The whole of creation is the temple. It's incredible. It's an incredible picture. You won't find a temple when you get there. Another thing you won't find, now now make sure you catch this. There is, not that there's no sun or moon, but it says there's no need for the sun or the moon. Did you catch it when Andrew read it earlier? It says, For the Lamb is its light, there will be no more night. We don't need any lamps or... So it's not actually trying to tell you that there's no, like, you know, sunsets or stars or, like, I hope that we still get to enjoy, like, some of the wonders of this world and even greater versions of it in the new creation. What it's trying to tell you is a couple things. One, there's no darkness in the sense of, I don't know what's lurking around that corner. What could that unknown hidden area hold? That's not in the new heaven and the new earth. There's no darkness. Also, it, it, it's, it's talking about how we're not bound to the rhythms of the sun and the moon. You know, we're tied to that, for better or worse, aren't we? Like tides and seasons and like we need those things and we're at the mercy of those things, not in the new heaven and the new earth. I believe and I think there's, there's good evidence that the sun and the moon and the stars, these are things that God made that will be fully brought forward in the new creation. They won't be done away with, but they'll be perfected. But we don't need them the way we need them now. There's no need for the sun or the moon. Also, I love this one. There are, you won't find any closed doors, locked doors, or gates when you get there. Now, if you've ever been left out, that might make your heart just leap a little bit. There are no exclusive clubs or places that only certain people can come. There aren't any categorizations or segments of society. The doors are always open all the time. It's all inclusive in the real word, in the real sense of the word. And there are no locks trying to keep bad things out. Like my wife and I will never have that moment when when I crawl into bed and she says, did you lock the door? And I say, I don't know. And she says, go lock the door. And then I say, we live in the safest neighborhood in all of Canada. And she says, go lock the door. And I say, okay, because you're the boss. And I go down and do it even though it's so not necessary. But anyway, you don't have to lock the door. There are no locks. No, no locks in the gates. I love it. It's open to all, for all, for all time. Number seven, this is huge. There is no curse. There's no curse. I wish we could do a little bit deeper dive into Genesis, but if you go back to Genesis 3, what happened after heaven and earth were separated through sin? The curse. The curse. The reason that things don't work right or things hurt, or that there's degradation and things fall apart. The reason that your car just will, over time, some of you, depending on the model or make, will be quicker than others. But the reason it falls apart, the curse. The reason it's hard to make money and make ends meet, the curse. The reason childbirth hurts, the curse. These things are all part of the curse. But the the Bible says in Revelation that there will be no more curse. The curse is gone. I love that. I love, it reminds you of the, the Christmas carol. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The curse is overwhelmed by righteousness. Things work right. Hallelujah. Amen. Like, think about this. None of you are going to go on your mobile app and see how much money's in the bank and have that consistent. Oh, I thought there was more. You ever have that? <laughs> It's just me, right? Like, it's like, oh, shoot, you know, or that, that like trying to make ends meet or the grind of life and the toil that you and I have to deal with. It's all gone. Things just work right. I love that. Number seven, there's, there's no curse. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep it moving. Now, I think some of you are already sold, aren't you? Like you can pretty much just, I know that I'm going to enjoy that place without even envisioning what is there. You just have to tell me what isn't there. I'm good. I want to go. And there's already longing rising up in your spirit, even as I'm describing some of these things. Anybody just feeling it like, oh man, yes, something's leaping. That's because you were made for it. C.S. Lewis once said it like this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. There's a capacity inside of you. There's a, there's a hunger and a craving inside of you that says, I was made for a place where there's no locks. I was made for a place where there's, where there's no curse. I was made for that place, and that's true. But let me describe for a few more minutes. Now, I know we're already sold. I know, you, I know you'd signed the dotted line already, but I want to just get you a little more excited about what, what heaven has in store for you. So let me tell you what you're going to find there really quick. Number one, God is there. God's very being, his presence is permeating everything. We kind of hit on it a little bit on the temple, the fact that there, there's no temple, that he's everywhere. But let's, let's flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, the, the theologian Gerhard Krodel, he said it like this. The negative aspect of the city stated there is no temple. Stated positively, the whole city is engulfed in the glory of God radiating in it f- and from it. The saints no longer stand before God God before God but live in God being completely surrounded by God even as God lives in them God is there everywhere in all God's splendor and majesty and power and holiness and healing and love in that city we do in every sense of the word live and move and have our being in God you ever heard the the term like there's a God-shaped hole in your soul not there it's full or there's a god-shaped hole in the in the universe and creation not in the new heaven and the new earth it's filled by him he permeates everything in the true and full sense of the word it's an incredible thought there is no lack you'll never know anything but full peace why because he's there full joy because he's there full satisfaction because he's there full freedom because he's there full love because he's there. That's incredible. We could just stop there, but let's frame it a little bit more. If God is there, it means there's also glory. And it tells us that in, in, in verse 23. And it goes in, and I remember, Andy, you were reading it. It goes in and it talks about like all the building materials, talks about all those weird stones and stuff. Did you notice though, the stones were in the foundations. So, Precious stones, and it says there's streets of gold. Are the streets literally gold? I don't know. I think what it's trying to tell you is this, that what we call glorious and valuable on earth isn't even worthy of being in the conversation in heaven. Like, you walk on it. It's asphalt. The things that we start wars over on earth are used for foundation footings in heaven. I think that's an incredible statement. The treasures, the most glorious things, the, the gems and the stones and the riches that we hoard away are everywhere. Why? Because the glory of God permeates everything. Glory in the beauty and splendor of creation, glory in his presence, glory in the moment. You think of, anybody watched the Super Bowl last week? Like that, the power of that moment of them winning the Super Bowl. It was a glorious moment. That's a drop in the bucket of what God has forever and ever and ever. It's glory. The glory of God is there. Number three, this is important. There is materiality. And this is really, I really want you to get this. I'm gonna wrap up in a second, but I want you to get this. Heaven and earth, the new heaven and the new earth is not some disembodied, mystical, you, you're some misty spirit floating off. Or maybe some of you, this is, a, this is a common character. Like I've heard this, you know, someone reading a eulogy, grandma was the best and I know today she got her wings. No, she didn't. <laughs> we're not angels, y'all. And we're not Ghosts. And the new heaven and the new earth is not some disembodied mystical ethereal, we're going to live in some light world, like it's not, get that, get like Philadelphia cream cheese pictures out of your mind, like sitting on clouds, playing a harp at this forever church service that never wraps up, and like, like, that sounds like hell, (laughs) sounds awful, Especially, my, my, where are my dudes at? I just want to get outside. Like, you're struggling to listen through this even right now. You're like, bro, <laughs> you need to take your own advice and land the plane right now. No, I just want to draw you back into, like, the tangibility of the hope. Like, it's a real, material, creaturely space. Like some of you who love the outdoors, you love like being barefoot in a garden, you love going hiking in the woods, you love sitting on the beach and listening to the waves crashing and feeling the salt in the air. That is just a foretaste of the reality. That's the shadow. It's going to be even more real, even more tangible. It's more creaturely. Like Daryl Johnson says it like this, contrary to popular opinion, the Christian vision of the future is not otherworldly, it is newworldly. The Christian hope is not to be freed of creatureliness or like your your material, but to be freed of the sin that causes creatureliness to decay. John's heaven, the, the vision, is no world denying nirvana. It's not a state of consciousness. The new city is God's original earthy dream brought to completion. Some of you just feel the fresh air in that right there. It's like... There's going to be oxygen. There's going to be skies and clouds and birds and the sunset. And all the things I love about creation is going to carry over and be augmented and fulfilled. That gives me so much hope. Because I grew up, like, not wanting to go to heaven. I only wanted to go to heaven more than hell. But my vision was, earth is best, but if I'm going to die, which is pretty probable, I'd like to go to heaven and not hell. That was basically how I... But earth is not better than heaven. Heaven is the next. It's the evolution. It's, it's earth 2.0. It's your body 2.0. Some of you are like, hallelujah. Right? There is materiality. Number four, there are peoples. Peoples. It says that he saw people. The Greek word in there is actually a plural for peoples. That there are nations represented. There's not just one type of person in the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are represented. And how many of you know it's the heart of God to actually redeem and call the diverse family of God to himself? Not to make us all like the Borg and kind of one, any Star Trek nerds? Like some autonomous human race, like we're all white or we're all black. That's a lie from hell. That like, like that's what the Nazi Germany went on, that we're gonna make one new world order an Aryan race, and they're all gonna be this type of person. That's not how God does it. God reconciles all people and actually celebrates the diversity. God loves that some of your skin is black. And he loves that some of your skin is white. And he loves that some of you come from the southern hemisphere and some of you come from the northern hemisphere. Can't you feel your spirit even right now? He loves the nations. He loves the nations. And it says actually, this creativity culture piece, it says that the kings of the nations came in. What does that mean? Are there new rulers in heaven? Like they're, gonna, they're gonna be our bosses? No, that's speaking of the culture that they represent. They represent their people. So get this, your people will be in heaven. Your family, your countrymen, they'll be there. Identifiable and, and celebrated. But also, those people are my people now. And I love that. I think about, we're going to celebrate diversity in a true sense. We're going to appreciate our differences. Like some of y'all, you're going to be like, you're going you're to you're appreciate hip-hop culture. And some of you, hip-hop culture, you're going to love bluegrass. <laughs> like that will be a miracle. No, it's just that diversity that God has created is going to be fully established. There's not going to be just one people. It's many peoples made one in one person. That's so, so, so encouraging. You want to believe it's the heart of God to bring every tribe, tongue, people, and nation together. There's creativity and culture. Some of you need to hear that too. Like, I, I believe we're going to make things. We're going to express ourselves. There's going to be music and song and art. We're going we're gonna to continue. God put that in us. He made us in his image. You know that God is a creator? Creation is not going to stop when we get to the new heaven and the new earth. I wonder if it's just going to get started. And There's going to be the most incredible art and the incredible songs I and mean, what could music in heaven be like? You ever wonder like just uh, can, can I just vamp for a second? You ever wonder like some of your favorite artists that aren't Christians like man I wish John Mayer would get saved because he would be awesome as a worship leader, <laughs> right? But it's just like our our earthly vision like that's the best it could possibly get. Can you imagine what like angel songs sound like? It'd be incredible. There's creativity and culture. Dallas Willard. He says, we will not sit around looking at one another or at God for eternity, but we'll join the eternal logos or we'll reign with him in the endlessly ongoing creative work of God. See, some of you want to work. Work is good. Toil is not. It is for this that we were each individually intended as both kings and priests. A place in God's creative order has been reserved for you, for each one of us from before the beginning of the cosmic existence. His plan is for us to develop as apprentices to Jesus to the point where we can take our place in the ongoing creativity of the universe. That sounds good to me. Number six, I'm almost done. Jeff Cook's going to come back. He's going to play to give you the signal that we are almost done. Number six, there is life. There is life. I want you to just imagine for a minute. Like when it tells us that I saw, it says in verse it says in verse twenty or 22, 1 and 2, it talks about, I saw the tree of life. And I wish you could go and look at Genesis and see the theme of the tree of life and how it's through the tree of life that life is sustained. But it's a picture of the fullness of life and the flow, the forever flow of life forever and ever and ever. But I want you to think about life for a minute and think about like the things that you call life, those glimpses where you're like, man, we lived today. Today was awesome or that was, that was great. Those things will carry over but be perfected and augmented. Like imagine everlasting life for a minute. Like maybe even just like close your eyes and think about it for a minute. Like what would life, like joy, like the Greek word zoe, abundant life, what would real life forever and ever look like? Well, there's a few thoughts I have. First is it's embodied. You will have a new body, it says. In the scripture, Paul says we'll be given a new body. I don't know what it'll look like. All I know is it will never die. There, will never, there won't be anything about your body that's not praiseworthy or glorious. Uh, we, I don't know exactly how it'll work, but I think the resurrected Jesus is a clue. If you read about Jesus after he was resurrected, there was a lot of physicality. He hugged, he touched, he spoke, he ate. Then he had some tricks that he could do that that wasn't part of the original body. He was walking through walls and showing up and getting everywhere he wanted, whenever he wanted. So that'll be cool. I don't know. It's just going to be a better body you're given. But you will have a body. You'll be able to touch, hug, hold. That should encourage you. There will be nature, exploration, adventure, mountains, rivers, valleys, lakes, trees, snow, sand, water, fresh air, sunsets, sunrises. Shooting stars, constellations, the northern lights, some other lights that we can't even imagine, a calm lake, a campfire, the beauty of creation as we have seen and yet in ways we have never even imagined. There will be creatures, animals, in all their diversity and beauty. Plants, horses, dogs, cats. <laughs> Sorry, babe, I love. I like our cats, sort of. Most of the time. Exotic animals, powerful animals. Animals that make you go, whew. But it says actually that even those predators, like it says in Isaiah that the lion will lay down next to the lamb, won't try to eat it that the wolf will lay down next to the sheep. But there'll be animals. There will be space and time. I don't know how time's going to work in eternity, but I know that there's going to be the passing of days. There's going to be the passing of time. And there's going to be space. And let me just nerd out on some of my my where are my like sci-fi nerds right now? I think God did not just make the cosmos and the universe so massive and infinite to just flex. I think in, we are going to rule and reign with him forever and ever, and we will get to explore the universe, maybe with these new bodies or maybe with some technology we develop. I don't know. Some of you are like, wow, dude, you're losing me now. I, I don't know. I just think we're going to be able to go, and who knows where we'll get to go for eternity. We have forever, and there is this expanse of the universe. Who knows what we'll see and what we'll discover and where we'll go and where we'll bring God's rule and reign. Who knows what it'll look like. Will we, will we meet other life forms that were reconciled by the Lamb too? Somebody like, did he just seriously talk about aliens? Yes, I did. Because Jesus is big enough to have some surprises in the universe. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Don't feel very exposed right now. (laughs) Pastor believes in aliens. So what? There will be relationships, family. Some family that we miss really bad. Some family that we lost time with. Kids that passed. I think of even like miscarried babies. Like, like some of us will have bigger families than we even have on this in this life. There will be families, but then there will be the fullness of family expanded that all people will be our people. There will be life from relationships. There will be life from culture, music, dance, humor, sports, language, story, invention, the best of life, joy, food, passion, intimacy, romance, sex. I don't know if there's not sex, there'll be something better. Just relax. If God can make that, what else could he make? For real? I don't know. I don't know. Like the whole marriage question and how that's all gonna work. I know this. Like Jesus said, no one will be given in marriage. I don't know if me and Melanie will be less, we won't be less married in in eternity. Whatever our relationship is, will be more. Isn't that amazing? Like, you don't have to worry about loss in the new heaven and the new earth. There will be meaning and play and levity and frivolity and work, good work, purpose, glory, excitement, peace, shalom, satisfaction, forever. Who wants to go? Oh, man, I do. Maranatha. Let me wrap up with this. The last thing that we'll see in heaven is his face. Randy Alcorn says this, we may imagine we want a thousand different things, but God is the one we really long for. His presence brings satisfaction. His absence brings thirst and longing. Our longing for heaven is really a longing for God a longing that invokes not only our inner beings, but our bodies as well. Being with God is the heart and soul of heaven. Every other heavenly pleasure will derive from and be secondary to his presence. God's greatest gift to us is and will always be himself. His face, we will see his face. Last question, some of you are like, well, let's make it happen. How do we pay for it? Here's the good news. You don't, Jesus did and it was expensive. This sounds like an expensive trip. It is. It's infinite cost, infinite cost, and Jesus paid that for you and for me on the cross, and he promised us that if you believe in him, he said, if you believe in him, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You put your belief in him. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need you and I want what you have for me. And on your confession of faith, as you put your faith in him and believe in him, that reward of the new heaven and the new earth is yours forever and ever and nothing can take that away. Not your works, not your efforts, not good days or bad days. You, it's paid for by what he did. And the cross is the receipt. So that means someday you had a bad day, and you're like, well, did I lose my inheritance? No, the cross is the receipt. It's already already paid for. It's already done. So so what what do we do? We rest in his goodness. We thank him for the price that he paid, and we live engaged. And I'm gonna talk to you next week about living engaged in the now-not-yet reality of the kingdom. When I asked Melanie to marry me in uh, summer of 2005, Something shifted in my mind where I was now living, even though I wasn't married, I was operating as a married man. I want to talk about living in the now-not-yet-reality of heaven next week. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this good news. Thank you for the joy that is set before us. But thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us, for the joy set before you. You endured the cross, scorning its shame. So God, we just thank you for the hope we have in heaven. I pray for God just for vision to continue to arrest us and envelop us. Vision that would power us through the troubling days and it would even keep us from believing the lie of the enemy that the best days are the best it'll ever be. Thank you, God, that we can indeed say the best is yet to come. It really is. And so I thank you for that. I pray your peace today over my brothers and sisters. I pray that the promise of everlasting life would take on new root in their hearts and minds and it would affect them in the here and now. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.